Hi, this is Michael Devine. I play Detective Paul O'Rourke on HBO's The Undoing, and I'm here in the Man Cave with Elias on the Man Cave Chronicle. Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal! You're my boy, boo! Yo, Adrian! I A podcast with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah! TV. Nice! Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more. From deep inside the Man Cave, your host, Elias. Michael, welcome to the cave. Hey, thanks, Elias. Thanks for having me. How are you, man? What's new with you? Oh, <laughs> it seems like every day there's something new, something crazy, but, uh, you know, just take it as it comes. How about you? You know, hanging in there, family, kids, you know, stuff like that. You know, we're, we're staying busy. Good, good. That's important. Yeah, that's right. How's, how do, how do the whole quarantines treating you? Well, I'm actually, even though we're, uh, we're so late in it, I mean, at least I, I think we're late in it. Um, it's still fairly new to me at the start of the quarantine. I was, uh, I was working. I, I had to, uh, at the time I was considered essential. So I was, uh, I worked right through it up until, uh, September. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So I was, uh, I was heading into New York city every day. It was, uh, it was kind of crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, yeah, when I was doing some research on you, man, the listeners, you've been busy, you've been a you know, police officer, you've been on TV shows, you've done movies, you got a new show coming out. How are you doing all this? Well, it was very difficult juggling, you know, 22 years with the NYPD with also being an actor. Um, and that's what I meant when I was when I was going in uh, during the pandemic. Um, you know, it's it was luckily, you know, especially late in my career, I had very supportive people in the, in the police department who allowed me to take time off and, and to, to take jobs when I when I had to. But some things I can't predict. Um, but, you know, I, I did what I could. I took it like that. Day by day. So like, so okay, so you're originally from what, New Jersey? Actually, I was born in Queens, born in okay. Flushing. Yeah, born in Flushing, but grew up in New Jersey, yeah. Uh, so growing up, like, did you have any idea that you wanted to get into the acting world? Yeah, absolutely. That It seems like I wanted to be an actor right from the gate. You know, like like so many other actors, I was doing the school plays and entertaining the family at home. And, and then uh, then I got more serious about it. And I went to Montclair State University and I studied acting and I secured a degree in acting. And that's what my goal was to be. And, uh, you know, I, I started acting and then I started to look at it from an adult perspective and realizing that this could be challenging as a career and to raise a family as an actor. And I started, I wouldn't say I had doubts, but I, I started to get into management. I was a company manager and I did fairly well. I was on tour with, um, with the second national of Miss Saigon. And then I, I just, I've fulfilled a lot of goals. And then I just, it sounds corny, I know, but I, I had a bit of a higher call. I just felt like there was something more I wanted to do. I was 26 and I said, let me just give this till I'm 30. And then uh, going way back and it was 1998 and uh, I quit Miss Saigon making a fortune as a 26 year old. And uh, I was sworn in as a New York City police officer. Oh, wow. So you've been busy, like I said. Uh, so, like, so growing up, like you said, you you know, you you kind of had an idea you wanted to get into. Like, what were some of your favorite like movies and TV shows? I loved a lot of the Spielberg stuff, especially as you know, uh, a teenager. I loved Poltergeist and ET, and and uh, you know those those eight early eighties. I mean, yeah. uh, 
Spielberg stuff. And then as I, I started to get a little bit older and I started to appreciate acting, I started looking at like, I remember I was really impressed by Timothy Hutton when he was in Ordinary People and then later he was in Taps. And I thought, this is fantastic. And I really saw, you know, a new side to acting. And he actually, people forget, he won an Oscar for Ordinary People. That's right. And uh, I started looking at some more serious stuff. And I even like movies like Terms of Endearment and, and uh, um, on Golden Pond, I remember, just because I was so impressed by the actors. Um, and, and then I started to really get into storytelling and not to discount Steven Spielberg. He's a fantastic storyteller with great actors. But I, I started to evolve a bit as I started to become an actor. I looked at, you know, actors who I admired. How did, how did you decide to become a police officer at first? It, I, you know, I shocked my family. Um, I shocked everyone I knew. Um, I'm my father and my grandfather were both police officers. So I think it's I don't think it's, it's definitely in my blood. But, you know, when I went into acting and, and the entertainment industry, my, you know, my family, you know, didn't, you know, they thought that's that's where I was going. So I didn't really show an interest, unlike my brother, who was a cop as well. I didn't really show an interest until, uh, you know, my, my mid 20s in, in law enforcement. And, uh, you know, I guess you can't really deny your your heritage. Um, you know, I grew up I grew up knowing, you know, who the good guys are. And I, I really admired my father, my grandfather. And uh, I felt that I had a, a desire to serve my community. And I just felt like there was something more in me that I wanted to try. And, and uh, again, like I said, it, it was something I was trying till I turned 30. And that was 22 years ago. So I, I did it for 22 years. So and while you were working for as a police officer, that's when you decided to start try, um, going to like auditions or anything for shows and movies? Yeah, I actually, I, I got established at work. So, so it was about, you know, maybe three or four years, you know, because I, I could never get a day off, especially early on when you're a rookie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then actually uh, the writers and uh, producers of Third Watch came and did a ride along with us at the precinct I was working at Midtown. And they were writing uh, a series of episodes. And I happened to be working in that capacity there in a, um, a unit called... Uh, anti-crime so they had characters going to anti-crime which is like a plainclothes unit so i started to get to know these writers and producers and they knew i was an actor you know i of course shared that with them and at the end of those episodes they wrote me a small part and that got me my sag card so it was right around that time and actually they, they put me in a couple episodes and, and i continued to work with them and i actually I still stay in touch with some of them today um so it, it started to come together and then also right around uh, September 11th of 2001, I also had a, a realization that, you know, if, if I do have some dreams that I want to fulfill, now's the time. Because yeah. I really, I figured how, I realized how fleeting life was. It was definitely a, a sobering wake-up call. And, and you know, I, I started to really question my own mortality. And I realized that, you know, I'm going to try to have it all. Why not? And, and I also realized that there was some marketability in being a real New York City cop with a degree in acting. Everything, you know, so many cop shows in New York with the Law and Orders and especially Third Watch at the time, there's so many cop roles. So I figured that might be something that I could bring to the table. So I did start auditioning around that time. When you told your family, like, okay, I'm gonna, still gonna be a cop, but I'm gonna try to concentrate on acting too. Like, what was their reaction? I mean, my family's always been supportive, no matter what I did, no matter how crazy it seemed. 
Yeah. They're they've always been supportive. So I I had my my family support 100%. Uh, and uh, and even the guys at work, they they thought it was cool. And it was funny. I I was working with uh, do, you, do you know David Zayas, the actor? I think I'll have to probably he, look him up more. He was an actor. I'm mean, sorry, he was a cop with me in Midtown, and he got a role on Oz. And then he, I think he left to do Oz. And since then, he's done tremendously well. He was just on Gotham. He's done Broadway. He was on Dexter for the whole series, I believe. So he's done extremely well, and I kind of uh, I look to him for a little bit of guidance. So uh, th- combining the two careers is not as absurd as it seems. So my family was cool with it. To answer to back to your original question, yeah, that's great. So, and then you decided you uh, this past September you retired, and now you stick into the acting full time. Yeah, I wanted to reach a point, especially like I said, acting is it's such an, uh, a difficult career as far as stability. I wanted to secure the pension and I, I didn't want to quit before I, you know, I was, I did my at least, you got to do 20 years to, to retire. So I didn't want to quit before that. So yeah, it was just, um, uh, it was just a couple months ago that I, I, I realized, uh, okay, I'm done. Let's, and let's, let's try acting full time. Mm. Now, do you think you're going to move to LA or you're going to want to stick to New York and go from there? I'm such a, devout uh new yorker that i i can't even see myself in la i, I went out there for a couple of projects and stayed a bit it's just i'd really have to get to know my way around and, and get to know the scene but i sure if something brought me out there but unless unless like i said if something brings me out there sure but otherwise i, I think i'm staying put yeah so now you got a new show coming out a uh, miniseries the undoing on yeah. hbo how exciting has this project been for you it's been tremendous. It's so it, it's it was so exciting since I got the audition. You know, it was it's 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 such a cool project. I love it. It's, it's David E. Kelly. It's HBO. It's Suzanne Beer directing, and it's starring Nicole Kidman. How exciting is that? It's you got a good cast on there. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've been excited from the start. Yeah. When was this filmed? I assume it was before uh, COVID. It was. We started in in March of nineteen. And uh, we ended, I think, just the beginning of July. So we hit almost all seasons, except uh, except the fall. But uh, we were fully wrapped at the end of, uh, by actually third quarter of 19. And it was supposed to premiere in May. And then because of the pandemic, they postponed it because, uh, you know, all production schedules were halted. So otherwise, they'd have nothing to release in the fall. So networks wanted to stagger their content. But we were fully wrapped. Yeah. Um, for the listeners real quick, without spoiling you, tell us a little bit what the show's about. Essentially, it's a very dark whodunit. It's really tough to talk about because there are so many twists and turns, and it's really best to go into it blindly. You can expect um, it's contemporary in its themes and its style, but in its dark heart, it's a Hitchcockian whodunit. Yeah, I can tell that from the trailer. I watched it like three times, and it was like, <laughs> after the third time, like, okay, this is going all over the place. you got to sit down and watch it. You can't just try to figure things out just from a trailer. And the, the trailer, by design, is intentionally vague, because it's important that you go in and not know too much about the storyline, because it's, it's a roller coaster, and it's going to take you all over the place. And just, it's, it's part of the ride. So it's best to go in, you know, it's all by design, that, that you, you don't know too much about the plot. Yeah. When you read the when you read the script, what was your reaction? 
did you get to read the whole script or was it just like your part? No. Well, when I auditioned, it was just my part, um, which is usually the case. And then I had a very short time. I read as much of the book. It's based on a novel called You Should Have Known. So I tried to read as much as I could to prep for the audition. And then uh, then I had a long waiting period, which was you know, it was kind of very painful waiting for the final phone call. And um, but once I got the part, uh, they sent me all six scripts at once. So I plowed right through it. Now you play uh, you play the detective Paul Ruka. Tell us about the audition. I want to hear about that. Was it a self tape? Was it live? No, it was live. It was just me and the casting director. It was um, Ellen Chenoweth's office. So it was just me and uh, and the casting assistant. I wish I remembered her name and uh, and a camera. So I, I did my audition and I, I you know I spent the past twelve years in the uh, NYPD's detective bureau. So I literally had just come, I was working in the chief of detectives office. So I literally had just come, I was wearing exactly what I wore to work. I kept my detective bureau pin on and I actually put my script. I, I went to, at, at work, I took a, uh, a detective's notebook, you know, kind of like a flip, like reporter's notebook. Yeah. And I put, I put my script into that. So I thought that would be good to incorporate the script and kind of incorporate it into the scene. And I, I kept a couple detectives that I know in mind and, you know, they wanted, I remember them saying that there was, it was a quintessential New York character type. So I, I, I went in and most of the guys at work started talking like this. So I kind of upped up, you know, the uh, New York accent that I spent so long trying to get rid of. I, I brought that in and, and uh, I remember them saying it was ultra realistic. So I just went in and tried to keep it as, nuanced and small and realistic as possible and i think coming literally directly from work you know and, and that environment i think that helped and then uh, yeah. then i waited a long time and I, I i think it was like three or four weeks before i heard anything and then then i remember them saying that uh they wanted to clear my schedule so that's always a good sign that i was going in front of the director so they're going to submit my tape to suzanne beer and then I think it was another month. So I, twice I'd already given up on it. And then I, I finally got the phone call. Then actually, uh, I think all the producers at HBO had to clear it. And, and uh, it was a lot of waiting, but it, it, it ended up being worth it. Definitely worth it, right? How would you describe the character that you're playing? Well, he, he's, you know, in contrast to Detective Joe Mendoza, who's my partner, played by Edgar Ramirez. And Edgar you know, he himself and the character he plays are very suave and polished and uh, very sharply dressed. Um, Paul O'Rourke is a bit rough around the edges. And, you know, the, 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 the button of the collar was undone and the tie was a little loose. I, and, and that was kind of fun. So he, I, I, there were a couple of detectives that I had in mind, like I said, and, and, and both of them are a little rough around the edges. So I knew one of them would never button his, his uh, top button and, and pull his tie all the way up. So, you know, I did the same. So I kind of had fun with that, that roughness um, in contrast to Edgar's polish, which was, I thought was a, a good contrast. Did you, did you find it easy playing this role since you were a former detective also? There were times where it was easy because, you know, a lot of my scenes are interrogations and there's a, there's sort of a learned, it's, it's, it, I guess it's a learned skill. And it took a lot of time to develop the nuance and, and the timing and the tone of a real interrogation. So 
especially because I was a bit intimidated because most of my scenes are opposite Nicole Kidman, I kind of returned to my safe spot in knowing that this is something, you know, I'm, I'm uh, familiar with and something I do bring to the table. So whenever I felt a little bit uh, out of my league, I, I sort of returned to my safe place. And I'm thinking this is something that I, I've done for the past 12 years. So, so it, it should be easy. And, and so with that in mind, it, it did feel a bit safer um, knowing that I, I had that experience to bring. Yeah. Did you find any challenges playing the character at all? Like, was there ever a time where you're like, oh man, like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> there was, I mean, when you're, you know, across the table from Nicole Kidman, yeah, who, who brings a thousand percent and then, and then Edgar too, there was a time where, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Nicole was talking about, she'd just come off of Big Little Lies and she was talking about her experience with Meryl Streep. And then Edgar was saying how, how amazing it is when you're in the scene and everything just disappears. And I'm just going back and forth listening to them. And I, I actually probably shouldn't have said this, but I said, I just can't believe I'm here with you. Um, which at times, you know, it really felt true. But, but there were times where, you know, if you bring it uh, enough focus and enough concentration. And especially once you're in the scene with, with her, everything else does disappear and it becomes extremely real. She's so prepared. And even when, when the cameras aren't shooting, she does not break character. You know, really? a couple of times, yeah, there were a couple of times I saw her like giving me an evil eye and I'm like, Oh boy, did I, uh, did I do something wrong? But no, she was in character. And, and, and one of the producers kind of gave me the heads up that I, I might be, might expect that. Um, so she brought it 100% all of the time. So I, I only felt like I had to give as much as I could. So as, as much as I could, I, I remained in character, 100% focused. And uh, so it, wa it was challenging, but I, I had so much fun rising to that challenge. Awesome. How, was, how would you describe like the vibe on set? <clears throat> you know, I had just come from a Pete Davidson movie, a kind of a stoner high school comedy. So it took some readjusting to the undoing set. Um, not that it wasn't fun, but it was just very serious. And the subject matter is so dark and everyone there is, uh, you know, a big name in the business and it's HBO. Um, it was extremely, it, we had fun, but it, there was nothing funny. We didn't joke around. It was, it was um, a very reverent tone. Um, I, and I think a lot of that had to do with, with the subject matter because there's, there's very little levity, at least as far as, you know, what I brought to it, um, and, and any of the scenes that I'm in. So the, the tone was very serious. Like I said, it was fun, but, but there was nothing funny. Uh, last question about your character. What did you love most about this character? I, I did. Like I said, I love the fact that he's imperfect. Yeah. When I when I auditioned for the role, they 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 give you a little um, a very short blurb about you know who he is, and I remember them saying that he's good at his job but not quite good as Mendoza, so I kind of took it in that direction and I I enjoyed his um, flaws. In fact, there's a scene where, you know, I made him so abrasive that um, Edgar took a moment and and he he it, and it was complete improv and he's just like whoa calm down come down. Um, so I liked that abrasiveness. It actually gave me a lot to work with. And he is, you know, sometimes when you're dealing with, whether it's a victim or a victim's family, or even, uh, you know, a, a suspect, 
there's different approaches, but I know a lot of cops that have trouble adjusting from, say, speaking to a victim to speaking to a perpetrator. So I, I looked at some of those flaws in some of the people I know. You know, at the end of the day, detectives are very human, and they're they're not um, always everything they're asked to be. So I enjoy playing those um, that level of humanity and you know, reminding that you know detectives, cops at the end of the day are 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 people and flawed. Mm-hmm. So uh, for the listeners, when is the show premiering on HBO? The episode one premieres October 25th. How many episodes was it filmed? There's six. And now is there a plan for, I know it's called a mini series, but is there a plan for a season two? Have you heard anything? No, I've not heard anything. Um, Like like it's very much like big little lies in that it's based on a book and it comes to a conclusion and, and I think the plan for Big Little Lies was, was only one season. So who knows where they can take this? I mean, all of us are, are uh, open to it, but I think they want to just see where it goes and then, and then if they can come up with a, a plot line for season two, because it does come to a resolution. But, but with David E. Kelly, who knows? Who knows? That's right. Now, you've, uh, throughout your career now, you've played, a, you know, you played officers a lot. Is there like a role that you kind of hope someday that you don't play that's not a police officer or detective? <laughs> Well, you know, when I do book a role that's not a cop, it's a it's a double win. Yeah. And and, and there have been a couple, you know, moments throughout my career where I, I I wasn't playing a cop and I had I had a ton of fun. Like uh I played an editor in uh the Spielberg film The Post. And then I recently had a job on the marvelous Mrs. Maisel as a stage manager. So I, I have so much fun when I, I can break away from that. But admittedly I know where my bread and butter comes from and I know that Casting directors don't always have the uh, time or um, uh, especially with the way TVs and movies are cast, they don't always have time to think outside the box. So I'll, I'll, I'm thrilled with whatever comes my way. Yeah. And not only that, like you're a singer too. So you could play a singing role someday. I'm hoping one day, maybe it'll bring back cop rock. Do you, do you remember cop rock? <laughs> oh my God. That's how old is that? Uh, it's really old, but Hey, maybe one day they'll, they'll bring that back or yeah. Who knows? I, I've I found ways where all of my my worlds can intersect, and and maybe one day that's 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 how it will. But I, I'd love to uh, I'd love to do Broadway, and, and uh, you know, now that I'm a, a full time actor, who who knows? I'm open to anything. How did you find your love for music? Because I saw that you released an album in 2011. Yeah, you know, I was the uh, the ceremonial soloist for the NYPD. I, w- I was one of several. You know, that you do the national anthem, they have ceremonies all the time so it's the national anthem it's god bless america and then i started to sing at a lot of memorials i was invited to the national police officers memorial fund in dc and i sang at some larger national events and and i took a lot of those songs because people kept having requests they want you know they want danny boy or ave maria um and very solemn you know very almost maudlin songs but I, I, a lot of people kept asking me for them. So I, I took all the songs that I sang at a lot of the ceremonies throughout the years and I put them on an album and, and I released that in 2001 and, and much to my surprise, it, it did fairly well for a period. It, it hit number one on Amazon, I think in four or five categories. And, uh, like it, that was, like we said, that was 2011. So I've been, I've been working on a follow-up to that, which is not quite as, uh, melancholic is that um sort of a still a bit of a celtic 
style. It's like Josh Groban yeah. meets the the Irish tenors meets Broadway, some Broadway songs in there. So I just completed after almost a decade my second album. So now it's just a matter of when is the best time to release that. I saw that you performed at Madison Square Garden. Did you have a chance to do Yankee Stadium? No, but it, it was in the works a couple times and it kind of it kind of fell through, but I'm I'm always available and <laughs> I hope that does yeah. happen one day. Are you a Yankee or a Mets fan? I, I tend to I, I'm a Mets fan. I won't even explain yeah. why, but I'm a Mets well, I fan. I figured I figured Queens and I was like, a lot of Queens people are Mets fans. Yeah, and uh, as the Yankees are great, and I'm geographically obligated to, you know, root for them both. But at the end of the day, the Mets to me always seemed like more of the underdog. They were they they weren't as much of a boy band, so I I, I always kind of rooted for the underdog. There you go. Um, is there any other projects that you got coming out after this? You know, I've had a couple of good auditions, so I'm hoping to hear. I have a small role in uh, the Amy Adams film, the, the Woman in the Window. And I know that was postponed too with the pandemic. So I, I don't know if that's still going to come out or I think it might've been sold to Netflix, but so I'm in the Woman in the Window. And then uh, the uh, second album will be coming out soon. And I got a few other things in the works, but uh, right now I'm just unwinding from 22 years of being a cop and, uh, and refocusing into a future of being an actor. Right. Speaking of the pandemic, one more thing. Uh, you've been doing a lot of like uh, self tape because of uh, because of all this. Yeah. Do you enjoy that better than live? Which... You know, I'm at the I'm at the point now. I always loved live just because you know I've been doing this for so long, and that's it's the very it's the traditional way of doing it. But I finally got the home studio set up, and and uh, I think I'm starting to appreciate this almost as much. I had a self-tape the other day and I, I spent the whole day doing it and it really allowed me to fine tune and, and uh, give the performance that I wanted rather than going into a room and you have just a few minutes and you have to nail it that time, which is actually, you know, I, I enjoyed part of that, that type of um, pressure. I, I often worked well under it, but this is, it's different, but I'm starting to appreciate it just as much. When you do that, do you do it by yourself? Do you have anybody helping you? Usually they want you to read with a reader. Um, if I can get somebody to sit with me now, it's a bit dif difficult. For this last one, I had someone read the lines and I actually, I, I recorded him and left spaces for myself, which is not the best way to do it. But in times of a pandemic, it, it can be sometimes the only way to do it. Um, I, I It's great to have someone there with you. But again, I like, to work on it all day i'll spend all day this is you know it's my job now right and i have the time so i will uh i'll spend all day on it and i don't want to don't i have very few friends who'll sit with me for uh six hours at a time it's a long time but it's worth it for you i think so especially you know the the audition i had the other day was almost 10 pages and it was four scenes and i, I really wanted to you know, I did a, just a ton of takes and just trying to find the one that, that I really liked, which is, again, great about the self-tape, which you could never do in a, in a live audition. Correct, yeah. Michael, uh, last thing, how can the listeners find you on uh, social media? I'm on Twitter, at Michael Devine. I'm on Instagram, it's uh, at Michael P. Devine. And uh, my music's on iTunes and Spotify and Amazon, a few other places. All right, Mike, this was fun. Thank you for coming on. 
Thanks for having me. It was great. I really appreciate it. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, everybody. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Man Cave Chronicles podcast. I finally get my man cave. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the MCC Podcast. And our website, themccpodcast.com. Until next time. Until next time.